Welcome to the Ghost Coast Podcast. My name is Kyle. And I'm Misha, and today we're going to be talking about the new films Parasite and the film adaptation of Stephen King's Doctor Sleep, as well as our process for picking good movies to watch, just in general. <laughs> um, but before we get into that, um, how's it going, Kyle? That's uh, pretty good. Um, this week was pretty easy going, I would say. Um, I I saw some things online and I never got around to it, but I guess Popeye's <laughs> was releasing the chicken sandwich again. Yeah. And it's just so crazy to me when I look on like TikTok or Twitter, like how violent Popeye restaurants have become. Like employees are. Yeah, I know. I, I kind of noticed the same thing. Like, I don't know if maybe that's just become like part of their brand and they're like embracing it, but mm-hmm. I seem like, I guess that's just what's popping off at Popeye's these days. Yeah, I don't think I have one near me, but I've been wanting to try the sandwich just from like a culinary ex- uh, experience. But mm-hmm. I don't know if I feel safe just from all the videos I've seen. Yeah, I mean, the sandwich is one part of the experience, right? The other experience is like the, the gamble that you take. <laughs> Getting out of there alive. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, it's it's crazy. Just I think just the whole world of just these trends that pop up and how they become so much bigger than what they actually are. For example, um, last night was the KSI versus Logan Paul fight, the boxing match. Yeah. Um, which I had, I guess the not good fortune of watching, but (laughs) I, (laughs) yeah. Did you you like make plans to watch it or did it kind of, fall into your lap no so i um i knew it was happening just because people i follow on social media um yeah twitter uh, some snapchat was was on there and i knew it was happening and i didn't actually plan to watch it and we had some people over last night and um it was just kind of more of a comedic thing like yeah i mean it's like watching a car crash right yeah so it's (laughs) It was, um, <clears throat> unfortunately I had to pay $20 to watch it, which I guess is pretty low on the pay-per-view scale. Um, but it was only being streamed on DAZN, which is a new app for just boxing events. Mm-hmm. So I had to pay for the subscription. So I paid $20 for the month of DAZN. I didn't really pay $20 to Logan Paul. Just to watch the fight. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, we were we were at a friend's birthday and we kind of had a similar situation. We just like we knew it was on and then we were just like, why not? Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, what what do you think of the fight? The whole thing is ridiculous in my mind. It's just like it started with these just two YouTube guys online having some sort of beef with each other and like, you won't fight yeah. me, bro. That sort of thing. But both of them seem to have sort of like toxic personalities. Like, mm-hmm. I guess it's not surprising to see them in a fight. But yeah, the whole thing felt kind of like a farce. Like I, <laughs> we were watching a bit of the undercard before. Like it was crazy that this fight even had an undercard. Like imagine being <laughs> a boxer and doing this for a living <laughs> and having to like be the introduction to two completely inexperienced boxers just like hacking at each other for six rounds. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, it was funny, like, I don't know if you noticed the, the fight before the main fight, they had, 
Did yeah. You, did you, you know what I'm talking about? With white chocolate they, and Bautista? Yeah, I thought, like, for half a second, I, like, glanced at the TV and I thought the fight was on because it was, like, a tall white dude with long, like, forehead length hair mm -hmm. and, like, a black dude that looked kind of like KSI. And I don't know if they were, like, trying to, like, troll everybody or if that was just, like, a like a coincidence, but... Yeah, I thought that was a troll, too, that fight. But, unfortunately, I don't think it was. Yeah, that one didn't end too well either, but um, the fight itself between Logan and, I guess, JJ is this guy's real name? Mm -hmm. I, I, got, I got confused about the two names, like JJ and then his streaming or, like, vlogging name. Mm -hmm. But, uh, yeah, it was, like, it was really boring. Like, did you get the sense, too? Like, it wasn't a very entertaining fight. Yeah, um, I had the pleasure of watching the first fight that happened last year. And that one was a little bit more amateur style. So they had the headgear on. It wasn't like a sold out Staples Center crowd. Um, yeah. And this fight, I guess, from a boxing standpoint, was much better. Where these two people, I think they actually took like their training and everything serious for this fight. Yeah. Um, they weren't just like throwing bombs at each other the entire time. Um, but but yeah. like at the same time, I think that's what kind of what people wanted. Yeah, just you know, like when you go to the octagon instead people... of a boxing ring. Yeah, that's actually uh, something that someone in our group mentioned that like it would have been way more fun to watch as like a no holds barred like cage match style as opposed to like a boxing match because like KSI was just throwing these like looping overhand rights that never connected, <laughs> and Logan just kept like clinching up with the guy and like yeah. had like a really defensive style, and it made for a pretty boring fight. I think um, it was only six rounds. Yeah. I couldn't do 12 yeah. rounds of that. But, like, the fight itself isn't even the most entertaining part. Like, I don't know if you've seen after the fight, Logan Paul said he, like, woke up the day of the fight, like, sneezing and, like, blamed himself being sick. <laughs> like, like the loss was somehow connected to that. Yeah. But, yeah, I don't know. This could be, I feel like, the first in a string of a few fights. It got, I mean, a lot of, of course, attention, sold out Staples Center, Millions mm -hmm. of people watching it. Logan Paul walked out with Justin Bieber. KSI had Rick Ross, <laughs> like, bring him out. Like, the celebrities, like, showed up for sure. I guess being in L.A., that kind of goes to your advantage. Yeah, it kind of reminded me of maybe, like, a less hyped-up um, Mayweather-McGregor fight. Yeah, it's just... Just in terms of, like, the quality of the fight. And just like the entire time I'm watching, I'm just like, this is so crazy how this is happening. Their stats before the fight were just like how many people followed them on each social platform. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, what is exactly. this? Uh, but here, here we are, paying to watch talking it, talking about it, yeah. yeah, and talking about it. Oh, jeez, what did you? Uh, anything happen with you this week besides that? No, that was kind of the highlight of my week. Um, Besides that, I guess generally the sun going down so early has been kind of bumming me out. So let's, mm -hmm. I think we should, we should dive into some, some topics here because uh, we've got some good movies to talk about and the sun is not up. So let's, uh, yeah, let's dive into Parasite if you're ready. Yeah. So I, um, finally got the pleasure of seeing, um, Parasite tonight, actually. The day that we're recording this is, is Sunday, so I saw it um, late Sunday evening. And we talked about it briefly a few weeks ago and how it was, like, super limited release. I wasn't mm -hmm. even sure I was 
even going to be able to see it at all before it hit like digital or um online um but i was just like scrolling through my feed on like fandango pretty much yesterday because i was gonna go to a movie yesterday and i saw that parasite was playing and i was like well i'll go see that tomorrow um and yeah. so can you can you give like a brief synopsis of what it's about for listeners because i haven't seen it either mm-hmm. um shannon's been able to see it and shared a little bit with me but could you like the previews seemed a little like they didn't give too much away so how like what would you how would you summarize the the plot well i would definitely say that this movie is very much like people seem to want to go see what happens in the movie and how it happens and then talk about it so there's not a lot of like things up front like the trailer of course doesn't really give a lot away there's not yeah. a lot of like if you look at summaries or synopsis of the movies there's not a whole lot but pretty much um you have this family who lives in this tiny apartment in um seoul south korea um mm-hmm. and it's the kim family and they pretty much live this very bottom of the bucket life um it's mom dad daughter son um no one has a job it seems like um they're like scrounging to make ends meet they the first scene in the movie opens up to them trying to find like free neighborhood wi-fi in their apartment because that's the only way they can use their phones like through whatsapp um they mention or like different ways they can access their emails um so eventually they they get this service to one of the the son's phone they i guess a new coffee shop opened up so he was able to find a weak signal in the corner and then finally they get a job where they they just fold cardboard pizza boxes for a living (laughs) and it's just kind of shows like their life doing that and then they get paid with their pizza boxes and they like they go on this like splurge you would call it where they buy like a six pack of like beer (laughs) and like some chips and like that's like their feast for finally finding a job um slowly it goes on to and i don't want to spoil too much but the son his friend has a tutor for this very wealthy family and he's actually going to be studying abroad come the summertime. So he recommends the son of the Kim family to be the tutor for this daughter of the wealthy family, um, teaching her English. Yeah. So it's pretty much how he goes to this family and he's um, helping her do, in- um, do the best she can with English. And you kind of see, and he sees the family is pretty gullible and he pretty much like more affluent family yeah they are the the dad is like works for a software company the mom stays at home with the two kids that they have also son and and daughter and in short in short order of the movie all of the kims eventually find employment by pretty deceptive means into this wealthy family's household weird so like the son and this isn't really spoilers it's like the son is the tutor he like yeah. convinces the mom to hire the his sister to be like an art teacher for the son and then the dad's like a chauffeur and the mom is a housekeeper but they of course don't like say they're related so, so they're kind of like walking on eggshells 
well he's like this inside man right so they like deceive their way into this family this wealthy family then the whole film pretty much talks about and kind of retrospectively lays out the two socioeconomic lifestyles that there are Hmm. we've kind of seen the same thing with like um like jordan peele's get out where this movie and that movie both express like pretty consequential ideas that about like how the how the world works today and how we live and the prejudice that we kind of create for ourselves and others. Um, so it's a pretty good like social satire, I guess you could call it. Um, it's funny. It's super. How would you, so would you classify it as like a comedy or how? No, I would definitely label this as like a mystery thriller. Hmm. Um, okay. Yeah. So I was pretty much a little taken back at first. Um, with subtitles it is all in korean you do have to read subtitles the entire time it's about a little over two hours long but the thing with this movie which was so good to me and i'm probably going to say and put it out there that this was probably one of the better movies i've seen this whole year wow um so that's yeah that's pretty strong considering some of the the recent movies we've covered yeah just the entire time watching this movie and and I just saw it today, so I don't have like my full thoughts in order. I'll probably go see it again if I'm, I'm able to. But this, I never found myself like struggling with the subtitles. Even thinking back to watching the movie, mm-hmm. I don't even like remember myself reading subtitles while I'm watching this movie. I think it's just the acting was so well done, the directing was so good. Sure, and I guess the the visual appeal and like filmmaking spoke volumes right there. like the, mm-hmm. like it didn't feel like the subtitles were the weight of the movie right because sometimes that is a problem with foreign films where you have sure. to kind of balance watching the movie but also reading the subtitles so you don't miss anything and this one mm-hmm. it's like you could probably watch it without subtitles and you'd perfectly probably be fine watching the film and understanding what's going on sure and would this is this something you'd recommend to anybody like do you feel like this is appeals to a large audience or how would you uh how would you classify that Mm -hmm. yeah so i think this movie is definitely not like a must see you don't really need to see any movie i guess if you don't want to but (laughs) if you if you kind of enjoy well thrillers for sure this movie has lots of twists lots of turns that you don't ever see coming it's super unpredictable all the way up until like the very last scene um just with these people's lives and the things that they go through and how they don't deal with the different classes that are within the movie um but even if you just want like a really strong and really smart political commentary movie um if you like i said we started this podcast when joker came out if you enjoyed joker and you were able to understand Joker in a little bit more of like a mature way than just a comic book movie, then I think this would be so good for you. Like some of the political themes and the political mm-hmm. undercurrents from that movie. Yeah, exactly. And it's, it's funny to watch this movie because you can relate to so many things that are going on and understand how like our world and how our society is here in America. And then like, you're watching the movie and then it's over and like, oh wait, that this is a Korean movie. This is like made, no, like no one in America made this. This is in Korea. This has nothing to do with the United States, but it's so relatable to 
our current lives. Huh. So it's something that kind of transcends cultures and was even culturally relevant here. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Interesting. Cool. Any any final thoughts? Um, I would say that if you don't have a chance to see this in theaters, still check it out. Um, I can't remember the other movie that the the director made. Do you remember? Um, Okja was one he directed, and Snowpiercer as well. Snowpiercer, yeah. So yeah. Um, definitely check out this movie and Snowpiercer if you are able to. But I would definitely recommend seeing it in one medium or the other. Sure. Cool. Well, with that, should we move on to something we've both seen? <laughs> yeah. So you saw Doctor Sleep today. Yeah, so I just saw Doctor Sleep today. I think you saw it on Friday or Saturday. One of those days, Friday, I think. Yeah. And so, um, for those who aren't aware, uh, Doctor Sleep is the film adaptation of Stephen King's sequel to his novel The Shining. Um, by it's the book of the same name, um, and essentially it follows Danny Torrance who is obviously the five-year-old protagonist of The Shining, uh, the original, and it follows his life after the events uh, that took place at the Overlook Hotel. Um, and basically, it's kind of a story about, like, recovery, uh, a bit about, like, reconciling with the past. Um, I, I felt like it tackled quite a few themes, but, uh, the thing to me, the, the overarching thought that I had from the film was that it's kind of a shame how hard it is to do film adaptations of novels, especially ones that are as dense and as complex as Stephen King's novels usually are. Um, cause I don't know if you got this sense, Kyle, but like they, I felt like they would like start to tie certain knots and then not finish them and like leave them on the table and then not really like come back to them. And they tried to, they tried to address several themes and without a knowledge of what the book was like, not having read the book, it was almost like I wasn't sure if maybe I was missing something or there was like some context from the book that wasn't effectively conveyed through the film. Yeah. I think there was a lot of, um, it did feel a little he uh, heavy handed at some times. And mm -hmm. I think there was a lot of like tonal confusions throughout the movie. Um, sure. It is a little bit over two and a half hours long, um, which I guess is a short comparison to the 800 page novel of Stephen King's. Right. Um, but I think it did just up front. I think it did a fine job um, kind of picking up where, the original Stanley Kubrick film left off. Stephen King mm -hmm. is pretty um, out there in how he really much disliked The Shining. Um, and he kind of gives Dr. Sleep a little bit more of a higher praise. So coming from the author himself, that's a good thing. Do you mean the film, like the film adaptations? He was more, he wasn't a fan of Stanley Kubrick's. Yeah. So oh, I didn't know that. Oh yeah. So he was pretty much, um, I guess it's not as known as I thought it was, but he was pretty outspoken when the shining came out about how mm. he did not like it at all. It wasn't adapted the way that it was supposed to. Um, sure. 
and yeah so but he has high praises for uh dr sleep yeah and i i kind of agree um like having read the shining i haven't read dr sleep but i read the shining and i don't think it was as literal of an adaptation as this was uh of of its like source material um the shining was obviously much more like stylized um but yeah so it i guess we can get a little more into detail um so it follows danny um as he like kind of struggles with alcoholism after um you know the events of the shining um in his adult life and also just like drug use and kind of almost like a drifter lifestyle and eventually settles down in this town um, where he gets a job as an orderly at a hospice and because of his ability to like connect with people psychically he like eases people's pain um and like fear of the unknown uh in sort of this hospice environment and that's what garners him this nickname of dr sleep and then obviously there's kind of a conflict with the main antagonist which is this group of like what i'd call almost like shining junky vampire types that basically feed off of what they call the steam which is like the essence of the people who shine um it's like something that's emitted when they feel pain or fear or like are dying um so these antagonists are kind of like searching the globe for people with the shine because it gives them this sort of like vitality and and immortal um power and so it's kind of a clash between that and kind of also a resolution of some of the loose ends from um the original movie but uh, I, I thought like as as a horror movie it it did pretty well in in the aspects where you know horror was necessary that good jump scares good like visual horror um and then i think what modern day technology affords more than the 70s did with the shining was kind of the different uh, effects of the camera in communicating i guess like the capabilities of people who can shine um whether it's like like astral projection and like being able to see what's going on in like another location or um being able to kind of experiment with like the um like the physics of your the reality that you're in things like that so the cinematography was interesting i think just like the source material was just seems like it was probably way too complex to be able to fit into like a two and a half hour movie yeah it's not a stephen king scare the pants off of you kind of movie it's more of like stephen king invites you to ponder the nature of evil kind of movie um sure and i do have a an issue with some scary movies that i've seen i'm not like a huge like scary or like horror genre movie person um but i do yeah, i do applaud the ones that are able to scare you and spook you in a way that doesn't have to rely so much on jump scares and i think mm-hmm. watching this movie um, there were some like creepy parts and kind of weird things that you see just being the nature of Stephen King. I mean, we saw it in both it chapter one and chapter two. Um, but I would just be sitting in a theater and there'd just be a jump scare after jump scare. And it's like, that's fine, I guess, but your movie isn't, it's not scaring me. You're just, you're just evoking a natural, like human response to allow noise. Yeah, and it doesn't like it doesn't stick with you, right? Right. But I think at you know the end of the day, there's some good parts, there's some some not so good parts. Um, I wasn't really a huge fan of the 
the knot like you were talking about like the, those groups of like mm-hmm. steam feeders or whatever you want to call them um what was it you didn't like about that i just think those characters yeah so i think um well i liked rose the the lead yeah and then her rose the hat and then the crow which is like her sidekick guy right um Although her hat remind me of, you ever seen the Babadook on Netflix? Yeah, no, that's a good point. <laughs> I was wondering where it, like it seemed familiar from, but yeah, that, yeah, yeah, another great movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but like the whole their their existence, I understand is to like feed on like the soul energy and then the fear and um, all that stuff and the shine that people have. But then like that storyline mm-hmm. just kind of ended with abra where you know yeah it it did seem like a little anticlimactic i guess and the thing that was weird to me and maybe like was like i feel like i'm just maybe missing something from the books like the, like it, the movie didn't accurately convey or communicate exactly what stephen king was trying to get across in the books but i guess it got his got his kind of testimony or testimonial um but like part uh, early on ewan mcgregor like when he's comforting patients, like lets them know that like there is a life after life on earth or, you know, people aren't gone. It's not the end. Um, it's not like inky blackness or it's not like hell, but he knows that there's like some way that people go on. And these villains, these like junky shining vampire people, they, from what I understand of the book, they also have a bit of like shine in them which to me makes me think like if they can shine don't you think they would understand the nature of the afterlife and maybe not be as terrified of death mm-hmm. you know be- because their their primary motivation is like feeding on this stuff that they're basically like it i mean i would say the dynamic is very much like a vampire like they have to feed on this stuff or they lose their like vitality mm-hmm. um but like if if they truly do um shine and they understand what the afterlife holds for them like why this like fervent and like manic uh like need for steam and, and things like that like you'd think they would just come to, to peace with the afterlife like doing mcgregor's character does right but i think how they kind of expand upon like the mythos of like the shining was really good I mm-hmm. think that was probably some questions that people had with the original Shining movie because it kind of turned into like this cult classic where people just adapted this movie and this world is their own. And it's nice to kind of shed some light on some backstory there. Um, the other, the only thing that I can think of that was a little bit of a flaw in the writing for me is also mm-hmm. um, the speed at which characters seem to travel back and forth across the country. Um, like yeah, <laughs> characters will drive sure. from like the East coast to Iowa and then back to the East coast and then drive to Colorado. Right. And it's like, In like a matter of what seemingly like hours. Right. Yeah. So there was definitely that hole. I thought there was also a hole in that like, there seemed to be like lacking real life consequences for like the actions that they took. Mm-hmm. Like for instance, uh, well, there's, there's a major plot event that takes place in the woods, right? Where a character, um, like get shot and um mm-hmm. you know seemingly you'd think there'd be like police investigation or like 
you know, they, they would have to do something with like cleaning up the mess that was made in the woods. And then that's just like never touched on again. Um, right. But the police so, somehow yeah. show up in a, a hotel on the top of a Colorado mountain. Yeah. Within like 30 minutes of a fire, <laughs> like raging. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, like there were definitely some holes in the writing and just like the way to transfer it from the book to the screen. Um, but I think like visually it was pretty cool. They also had like, they paid kind of some homage to the original um, film. There's a scene where Ewan McGregor is in like um, the office of a doctor who's like getting ready to offer him a job. And they actually use the same camera angles um, from the original Shining where Jack Nicholson's character is like, basically interviewing for the job with the proprietor of the overlook hotel um so i don't don't know if you caught that particular scene Mm -hmm. um but they also reuse some like source material um but there are actually instances like they did a pretty good job of finding actors that looked like um danny's mom and like jack nicholson but they weren't consistent in their use of like source material so like there was one point where they do like a flashback to jack nicholson's character like you know, tearing down the door and doing like, here's Johnny, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And they, they use Jack Nicholson's actual face. And then like the rest of the portrayals of his character in this movie are played by somebody who kind of like just looks like him. So it's kind of weird in that way. It's like, it almost felt like documentarian almost mm-hmm. as opposed to like telling a fictional story. Yeah. And I saw some things where they did like those, the shots like side by side where they kind of recreated, like you said, like the same scenes from the Mm -hmm. first movie. Um, and that was really cool. And I think this movie also assumes everyone watching it has seen the shining and it, yes, it doesn't like waste, which I guess might be good and bad. Like the good would be, it doesn't waste any time like explaining like the power of the shining or like any of the events. It just like goes right into it and has like a, you know, starts out strong. It doesn't have to waste any of the two and a half hours, but on the the other side of the coin, if you haven't seen the shining or you haven't seen it in a long time, there are some things that you might've missed that are kind of important. Yeah. I guess if you hadn't like, definitely if you hadn't seen it, but like, I'd recommend probably at least summarizing like the plot or giving it another watch. I mean, it's a great movie, the original one. Um, so definitely kind of catch yourself at the speed before seeing this. Mm-hmm. I guess my last my last thought on the, the movie was like to me Stanley Kubrick like like The Shining was one of his most iconic um the films that he made and it was like such a strong embodiment of Stanley Kubrick's like very visual um style of storytelling um and his like unique cinematography and it was weird that like him not directing this movie almost felt like obviously Stephen King is the author of the two books, right? It almost feels like there's like a different author writing the story because like the shining and Stanley Kubrick are so closely associated that with this one, it it like felt like almost foreign or like a little different. I don't know if you got that sense too. No. um, For me, I was kind of in that crowd where I haven't seen the shining and I mean, seven years maybe so me going into the movie just did like some quick background research like online like you know those articles or those videos things you should know before you go see this movie (laughs) yeah i did like one of those um but i guess that's a little bit different but with stephen king 
I guess kind of saying how uh, I have a quote here where he said pretty much everything that he disliked with the Kubrick film, this one kind of made up for. So he doesn't really go into the details of what he didn't like about it, um, the Kubrick one. But um, overall, I would say this is a it's a good sequel. A lot of the times, it's hard to find good sequels to movies, especially since this is such drawn out. This book, Doctor Sleep, came out. I think in 2013, which is like 30 plus years from the original one. Yeah, I think it was like 35. The Shining was written in 1977. I think, yeah, wow. So I think from a sequel standpoint, this does a really great job with that. And I think if you're a fan of the series and fan of the, the Stephen King universe, then this is definitely um, an enjoyable watch for you. Yeah, for sure. Like, I definitely enjoyed it. I thought it had some really, like, solemn themes that, like, despite having to try to address a lot of the source material, like, I think they did a, a fairly good job of um, conveying. And to me, it was really kind of like a story about trying to confront uh, death and, like, recovery. Um, so I really enjoyed it, and it's got me kind of motivated to give the, the book a try as well, because I read The Shining after seeing the movie and mm -hmm. i feel like we're now kind of in a similar situation but uh, i'm intrigued at you know the level of detail that stephen king writes with is just so rich and um looking forward to it but yeah i definitely recommend this and if you haven't seen any other of mike flanagan's work um definitely check out the haunting of hill house that's a netflix show um season one is just out right now season two comes out next year um that's a really good spooky show to watch on netflix so that's your thing yeah and he uh he's actually like very well known for his horror so he also directed like oculus um a film called gerald's game which is another stephen king adaptation um so yeah give it i'd give his filmography some consideration mm -hmm. um so speaking of movies uh i wanted to kind of segue into our next topic um, so to give you kind of some background, Shannon and I recently made, uh, some new friends through the CrossFit gym that I go to. And, you know, one of the first things we do when we meet new people, cause we're such big movie people is we're like, Hey, are you guys movie people? Like, do you like movies? Um, and they're like, well, sort of, um, like we, we love movies. Like who doesn't love movies, but we oftentimes have like a hard time. We just like don't have good luck with picking movies. Like uh, we'll find something on Netflix and we're just like our luck. Like we're not lucky. We, we like, we like good movies, but we don't know how to pick them. Um, so it got me thinking and Shannon actually suggested that we talk about this, but um, sharing with people what like our process is for like, I guess knowing what to watch and like, uh, I guess maybe like a like a routine or a process that we use to pick good ones. Um, so, Kyle, do you maybe have some advice for listeners on how to pick good movies, whether it's streaming or in theaters? Yeah, so for me, I rely a lot on reading film criticisms, mm -hmm. um, listening to our podcast, for one, little plug there. Um <laughs> But film reviews provide a pretty useful service, I would say. Um, they not only inform you about like the plots of movies, um, but they also kind of give you like a quick judgment about the quality. And they're not hard to find. Like you could find movie reviews everywhere. 
um, and there's a lot of different sides to them. So with any sort of news, you want to make sure you understand both sides of an argument or both sides of an opinion to formulate mm -hmm. your own. Like don't, a lot of the times, um, well, I still might this day, I'd go to a movie. It is, it's rot tomatoes has like super high. Yeah. Um, that kind of informs my decision about what I think about the movie before I even see it. So it's nice. Yeah. yeah. No, that that's definitely a dynamic. Like I was going to say, I, I typically use Rotten Tomatoes as a barometer, but I've been wary recently before going to movies, like checking the Rotten Tomatoes score, because like you said, it has sort of like a, almost like a confirmation bias that occurs where you're like, oh, well, I saw it got like 50%, but like people are saying it's good. And then you go into the movie, like kind of with this negative uh, like approach. Yeah. And then the second thing for me is trying to like narrowing it down based off things that you already know that you like. So whether that's mm -hmm. a genre or a director or even like an actor, um, a lot of the times, um, like for example, knives out that comes out, um, later this month, you and I are both big fans of Daniel Craig. You know, mm -hmm. if I saw this movie, and I just know yeah. that he's in it. And I kind of know it's like a whodunit type thing. Like, I'm going to go see it regardless because this is someone whose work I trust. Sure. Yeah, you kind of have a record of, of what to expect. And, like, for that one, too, like, I'm a big fan of Ryan Johnson as well. Like, I really like Looper. He obviously did The Last Jedi, um, both of which I was a fan of. Um, any other tips? Um, if you're... I guess most of this is for, like, going to the movies, but mm -hmm. if you're maybe like staying in for the weekend, like with some friends or with your significant other, and you just kind of want to know what's, what should I watch, um, at this time, um, I'd probably just say to gauge what's kind of trending at the time. I know a lot of times people can get a little upset with like award shows, like with the mm -hmm. Oscars or whatever, and how those might be kind of biased and political in their own realm, but. A lot of right. like what they give and a lot of the awards that they give are for pretty good like reasons. So when I kind of got really into movies young at a younger age, I started by kind of making a list and most of my movies that were on my list won some sort of Oscar, whether that was best picture or if I wanted to watch something that had really good direction, I would find movies that had won best director or anything like that yeah. and then you kind of make a list that way and then hit those those popular movies because i mean they win these awards and they're popular and they're must sees on a lot of those like 100 movies before you die type things like they're on those lists for a reason yeah for sure yeah so i'd recommend uh, i kind of a similar tactic that was one that i used when i was really getting into film um was like you know i relied a lot on what my parents told me about film um, or like my extended family, right? So I would like take note of acclaimed directors that they would mention or movies that they really liked that won awards. And similar to you, I would build like lists and kind of check those off. Um, it was actually interesting in college, Shannon and I used to frequent this video store called Casa Video. Um, and it was like an old fashioned DVD rental place that sold like beer and it was kind of like a cool, funky Tucson vibe, but they had a wall that was all, like dedicated to all the Oscar winners. Um, basically that had come out on dvd so um you know if you have kind of a, a method or a structure like that where you know you can easily watch 
movies that are acclaimed in that way like that that definitely helps um i'd say too like picking good movies is all about kind of like the social proof um so you know if you surround yourself with like-minded people which you tend to do your your friends tend to have similar thoughts feelings um interests as you and you know one way that we uh, like i myself typically prioritize watching movies is like hearing something through somebody about how good a movie was like for instance if you were to give me a recommendation like even just your testimony about parasite makes me want to go see parasite um so i would say like the social proof is one you mentioned movie reviews but one um one way that i've been kind of getting a more i guess i would say like authentic or closer to home opinion like general opinion about movies is through twitter's like moments tab um so frequently when big movies get released um they share kind of like the critical reception in the entertainment section of like the twitter um moments section um and that gives you kind of like real real life examples of people's like takes on movies um sometimes they can be funny and you know in like a short form like twitter um you have really condensed thoughts as opposed to maybe like a more long long-winded movie review um and it seems like that, i was gonna sorry, say go ahead. i was gonna say it seems like a lot of the times the streaming services that we've talked about they also kind of are trying to help you with going through their entire library so with netflix or with hulu or prime video for example it'll say like what's trending on netflix mm -hmm. or most popular or just added or it kind of breaks it down in a way that's a little bit easier than i know i struggled a lot with when i first got hbo because yeah. hbo just when you go to all movies it just sorts it alphabetically right it's just and I'm, like, of movies. <laughs> yeah. and I'm like what how, how am i supposed to pick something out of this and i'm before i know it i'm an hour in just to my scrolling no that that, that it definitely is an advantage of those types of streaming platforms uh whether it's like you said netflix or prime video another thing about those platforms is like the algorithms they use to suggest movies so i mean first of all if you're watching crappy movies you're going to get crappy movies like suggested to you right mm -hmm. um so part of it is almost like stacking the algorithm in your favor to suggest better movies um so along the lines of like the list that you were talking about say you create a list of these like kind of like must watch movies try to find them on the streaming platforms you're on and watch them there because you know the algorithm will start to pick up on that and start to recommend other like-minded um or like critically acclaimed movies um and it's hard also because at the end of the day it's all personal preference um yeah for sure what you like isn't gonna be what we like or vice versa and some of the things that i've noticed like in some of like my friend groups that I've had throughout the past is movies that I recommend or that I really like, or that even we talk about in this show may not be the best movie for someone else. Um, whether that's just, I don't want to say I'm like smarter than my friends, but sometimes I like, I like <laughs> recommend <laughs> a movie. <laughs> right. Yeah. So like, um, I would recommend a movie to like, I'll say like a, a past girlfriend that I've had. I'm like, Hey, this movie ex machina, you should watch this movie. It's a great movie. Um, and she just maybe wasn't able to understand it in the way that it should have been understood. And that's, that's fine. Mm -hmm. You don't need to, you know, watch these movies and always think about like the bigger picture and 
that comes, I think, with watching more movies and kind of understanding how movies are even filmed. Um, but if you want to yeah. go watch, like, like people love, um, for example, these like Avenger movies, like mm-hmm. Black Panther, um, Captain America, whatever. They're not really for me personally. I I enjoy them as like popcorn movies. But I watch them once, and then they're pretty disposable for me. But like with a movie like Get Out or with Parasite, something that I can actually dive into, I can watch those multiple times and not feel tired. Sure. Yeah, yeah. It's all about perception. And like you were saying, like I I frequently use Rotten Tomatoes as a barometer. But like, I, of course, I've enjoyed plenty of movies either like from my childhood or even just casually as an adult that maybe don't have the best scores but like it's not all about that right it's not um it's not black and white it's really about what resonates with you um and so i guess my last piece of advice there would be like try to pick something that kind of aligns with what you're feeling like if you're feeling like down i'd obviously recommend like a comedy um you know in sort of like a date night situation like horror is probably better than like a really dry historical like biopic um so you want to try to like match um the themes or like the genre of a movie to the situation you're in as well otherwise you know you're just not setting yourself up to enjoy a a film um but yeah i think that's that's uh that's how we go about picking good movies and if you ever want suggestions um i mean maybe as the year goes on closer to maybe like Oscar time, we might like make a list of maybe our top movies for this past year that maybe we recommend that you go watch and we can release those on Twitter or whatever. We'll have like our own list and you can use that as kind of your starting point. Yeah, that'd be fun. We should do Mm -hmm. that. Yeah. So with that, that brings a closing to our show, but before we leave, um, Misha, do you have any, any recs for this week? Yeah, so my recommendation for this week is one I actually alluded to earlier during the Dr. Sleep portion, but in honor of Stephen King adaptations, I'd recommend a movie called Gerald's Game. Uh, That is another Stephen King adaptation based on the Stephen King novel. It came out in 2017, and it basically tells the story of a husband and wife who kind of go on this getaway to this remote cabin, um, and they kind of get into... They're trying to kind of like spice up their love life. And so he handcuffs her to the bed um, and then ends up like having a heart attack. And it's about her trying to survive this ordeal as they're like in this remote cabin um, and she's chained to this bed and she wrestles with like moments from her past and things like that. So um, if you like Stephen King books or even adaptations of the movies, um, I definitely give Gerald's Game a try. It's on Netflix now. Um, so easy, easily available for you to watch well great so again thanks again for watching our show you can find us again on apple Podcasts, spotify google play anchor is where we're hosted thank you for our friends at anchor and for that we'll talk at you next time see you then bye